0: Good morning everyone. Um, So today's Bible reading, we're reading from Luke. Um, We're starting at uh, chapter 10, verse 38, and reading through to 11, verse 4. Um, If you want to use these Bibles, it's on page 1615. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And lead us not into temptation.
1: Thanks for reading, Heather. I wonder this morning, how are you feeling today? Are you worried about anything or are you upset by anything or are you distracted by things? If I ask you to raise your hands, if you feel a little bit like that, I'm not going to do it because I think it might be a little cringy to see all the hands go up. But I suspect that many of us are feeling a little bit worried Or a little bit upset or a little bit stressed i think many of us will resonate with the kids talk because we live don't we in a in a high paced full and busy and often very stressful world i think the demands on workers and parents and volunteers has never been higher and then you add into it the distractions from the workplace distractions from our phones and social media and all those sorts of things. Our world is a minefield of distraction and stress. I've been chatting with a man called Al Stewart, who's coming to Adelaide a little bit later in the year to speak at men's conventions. He's written a book for men recently, and so he's been asked to speak at lots of men's conventions. And I asked him, what do you think men need to hear? And he said this, he said, Men have never been more stressed out and yet more bored at the same time. He said, we're stressed by our workplaces, but we're bored by the work we do. I wonder if you feel like that. And so I reckon the end of, of chapter 10 of Luke's gospel, it might sound a little bit familiar to us. Let me read it to you again. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Does that sound a little bit like your life story? Are you you distracted by all the preparations that need to be made? Maybe for you it's a, a really big project that's happening at work. Maybe it's a new job or or maybe it's just keeping up with the demands of the kids' sports. We are distracted, I think, at the moment. John Harry wrote a book called Stolen Focus. It's a very well-known, popular book. In in his book, he talks about going on a digital detox. He escaped to a seaside town and he got rid of every electronic device he could have. He said it helped him to not be distracted, but it wasn't practical. It wasn't a long-term solution. Now, Martha's not distracted by Facebook or Instagram or Candy Crush or something like that. Her problem's very specific, isn't it? Jesus is there in her home. And rather than go and sit at his feet, she's, she's busy making afternoon tea or doing something like that. She's distracted by her cooking, by her preparations. She's distracted because, well, actually she's serving those around her. And in Luke's gospel, service is held up really high. Service is a great thing to be doing. Service and discipleship go hand in hand. But here it's not. Because her service is taking her away from sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, if you're here today as someone who's, who's trying to follow after Jesus, I wonder, what is it in your life that might be distracting you from, from taking time to sit at Jesus' feet? What gets in the way of your discipleship? And if you're here today as someone who is just wondering what Christianity is all about or what we're on about as a church, it's about this. Here's what I want you to see. It's not, Christianity is not a set of rules or a moral code of how to live your life. It's about following jesus sitting at his feet worshiping him becoming like him and so it seems to me no coincidence that having just shown us the distraction that is that that martha's facing the distraction to her discipleship luke then moves on in the very next chapter to a question about how to pray at the start of Luke chapter 11, Jesus has been praying. Did you notice that? Jesus himself had been praying and his disciples come to them and one of them says, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And I want to suggest here that that Luke is is kind of helping us to to find an antidote to distraction. If you want to be an undistracted disciple of Jesus, then part of the solution, it seems, is, is prayer. Part of the solution is to pray. I think prayer will help us to focus on the eternal but the unseen things of God. See, all through this series that we've been looking at at the moment on prayer, Jack and I have been trying to bring you back to that verse in in 2 Corinthians, that verse that I hope kind of becomes a bit of a a theme for us this year. Do you remember that verse? It says this, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is temporary is eternal and here we see again prayer being a means to help us fix our eyes on the unseen things prayer being a means to help us not get distracted by all the things that buzz around us the worldly concerns and in luke chapter 11 jesus teaches his disciples how to pray And I reckon many of you will will know the words of this prayer really well. Many of you will know this prayer off by heart. You might have said it hundreds of times before, maybe even thousands of times before. And it is a a really good prayer to pray. After all, it's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. But I think this prayer can be more than just something that we memorize. I think this prayer can help us Will kind of be a model for how we pray. A prayer that we can expand to some extent and to make our own as well. And so so today, in your leaflet, you'll find an inserted page. If you haven't got one, there's probably some more leaflets floating around somewhere out in the hall. But today, as we work through this prayer, I'd I'd, I'd like you to follow the pattern of the prayer and the content of Jesus' prayer, but to kind of put it in your own words. If you take out that insert now, you'll see the Lord's Prayer listed on that insert line by line. You'll also see a couple of boxes in the top right-hand corner. A little later on, uh, Chris and and Susan are going to lead us in a time of prayer. Uh, I'm hoping that we'll be able to pray some of your prayers that you write. If you're happy for your prayer to be prayed a bit later on, can you tick that box to say that you're happy to do that? And during the song after I have finished speaking, I'll come around and collect those and then Chris and Susan will be able to lead us by praying through some of those prayers. What I hope you see this morning as we work our way through this prayer is that there are three aspects in this prayer that relate to God and then three aspects that relate to Jesus' disciples and perhaps by extension, us also. So let's take a, take a look at the prayer. So there at the start of Luke chapter 11, the first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus addresses God here in a very familiar way. He calls him Father. Now, we're used to doing this, aren't we? We're we're used to addressing God as Father. But for the disciples, I want to suggest this would have been revolutionary. This would have not been their usual practice. Now, there are a few times in the Old Testament where, where God is described as the Father... But in those cases, it's it's more likely that God is the Father of Israel that's being spoken of here. But here in the New Testament, we see Jesus revealing God as a Father in a way He had never been known before. If you've got your Bibles open, just flick back a few verses to Luke chapter ten, verse twenty-two. Chapter ten, verse twenty-two. Here Jesus says this. He says, "All things have been committed to me by my Father." No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. you see then that it's only through Jesus that God has been revealed as the Father. Now, we take this so much for granted today, but but for the disciples, uh, what a shift in thinking is how they approach God, to do so with such familiarity. But sons and daughters, they they have unique access to their father, don't they? We don't all have perfect examples of fathers, but but I think we understand that that even very powerful and even very influential fathers generally make special provision for their sons and daughters. Sons and daughters have access to their, their fathers like no one else has access We see this, I think, in a photo that is on the screen of uh, the former American president, John F. Kennedy. Hands up if you've ever been to the Oval Office before. Anyone here been to the Oval Office? Stood inside it? No. Few people get to go into the Oval Office, don't they? And and even those that get invited in, I imagine that they go into that space with special reverence. I imagine that they, they put on their good shoes, that they dress up, that they sit carefully on the sofa in the Oval Office, those sorts of things. You treat that space carefully and with reverence, except if your dad is the president. And then the Oval Office just becomes another play space. So you see here on the screen, JFK's son playing under his desk. And I want you to see that's because he has special access to that space because of who his father is. in a way i think this is what jesus is doing here he's helping his disciples to pray to god as their father he's helping to set the access that we have to god one of intimacy and closeness and familiarity it's a wonderful thing to be able to call god our father so here's what I want you to do. Take out your A5 page where the prayer is listed and I want you to start by creating your own prayer today, the prayer that's modelled on, on, on Jesus' prayer from Luke chapter 11. And I want you to think through how would you address God? You may use the same term, Father, but you may have another word that describes the intimacy that you have with your own Father, maybe Papa or something like that. Can you write that down on your prayer? The next line of the prayer is, in a way, the kind of opposite side of the coin. Again, here Jesus is speaking about God the Father, but this line of the prayer says, Hallowed be your name. I don't know about you, but I don't use the term hallowed very often. In fact, I had to actually Google it to find out exactly what the word means, and what I found is that it means highly respected or honored or or even holy. In other words, The lines of this prayer are about exalting the name of God, lifting up his name. You might wonder why Jesus wants the the name of God to be hallowed. Today, names don't have a particularly large amount of meaning, do they? But in the Bible, names communicate something substantive about the person. Today, names don't really play much of a role in a person's life. Sometimes there's funny coincidences. We might chuckle if we visit a dentist and her name happens to be Rachel B. Pullen. Or if we see a a firefighter whose name is Les McBurney or something like that, we chuckle at that. But mostly, the names don't really mean very much about the person. But God's name is part of the way in which God is known. It wasn't long ago that we as a church looked at the book of Exodus. You might remember back at the start of Exodus, at Exodus chapter 3, the account of Moses standing before the burning bush. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, we read this Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is your name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. Now, you might remember last year me picking up on this and, and, and helping you to see what Andrew Reed, a great Bible scholar and pastor, said about one of this, this enigmatic verse. But Andrew Reed suggested this verse could be translated as, I am who I will be. Or, I will be who I will be. In other words, God's name describes what God does. And what does God do in the book of Exodus? Well, He rescues his people, doesn't he? He redeems them. He takes them out of slavery. He saves them. And all of that is captured in his name. And so, can you see here in the opening two lines of this prayer, we call God our Father... And yet at the same time, we need to remember that while he is approachable, he's also holy and exalted above all else. He's powerful and mighty, and yet we come to him as our Father. Your turn. How would you go about uh, praying a line of a prayer where you are magnifying God's name and asking him to exalt himself? Have a go at writing that line into your prayer. third line in the prayer, and the last of the three concerning the things of God, Jesus prays, your kingdom come. What do you think Jesus is asking when he prays this? I guess it depends a little bit on what you think God's kingdom is. I like to think of God's kingdom in this way. I like to think of it as the realm in which Jesus' rule and reign is uncontested. The realm in which Jesus reigns is uncontested. So in the Gospels, we read about the growth of the kingdom of God. It starts small and it grows to be large. And and that is more and more people choose to see Jesus as their Lord and their saviour and their king. His rule becomes uncontested in their life. And so the kingdom grows there's also the reality, isn't there, that those who follow Jesus wholeheartedly, well, hopefully they demonstrate what we would call kingdom values, that they would live out lives of love and peace and patience and joy and and those sort of things. And in doing so, we see the kingdom come. But I think ultimately the time when the kingdom comes, when the rule of Jesus will be fully and finally uncontested, is when he returns in triumph. We read about the exaltation of Jesus in, in places like Philippians chapter 2. Thereafter, there, Paul, after speaking about Jesus' death on the cross, says this. He says, Therefore God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The exaltation of Jesus. His kingdom come. How would you explain that? How would you pray that to your to your God? Your kingdom come. You'd like to have a go at writing that down on the line in your leaflet. In verses three and four, that the focus I think shifts from uh, of the focus of the prayer shifts from praying to God to Jesus praying uh, for the disciples and by extension for us. And here Jesus firstly directs his disciples to ask for their daily bread. Now I think uh, the term daily bread is a term loaded with lots of meaning, isn't it? I think we're supposed to think about the Exodus again where, where each and every day God supplied manna from heaven. Manner that could be kept just for one day. manner that couldn't be stockpiled or saved. The only way you could use it was to consume it that day. There's so much, I think, that could be said about this line of the prayer. Let me just point out a couple of things, though. Firstly, Jesus directs us to God, our Father, to ask for our daily needs, doesn't he? He directs us to do that. And I think here then is permission for us to come before our creator God, to come before the God who is exalted, the God who rules the universe, and to ask him for our daily needs, to ask him to provide for what we need. This week in the community group that I'm part of, we talked about this verse a little bit. And I think we kind of arrived at the idea that this seems to be about our sustenance rather than just our excess. Jesus prays, give us our daily bread, but he doesn't pray, give us caviar to spread on the top of the bread, for example. And someone from our community group very helpfully took us to Proverbs chapter 30. I found it a really helpful passage. I want to share it with you. It says this, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Seems that Jesus is praying in a similar sort of way here, isn't he? Bread, but not necessarily caviar. Not too much, lest we would disown God. Not too little that we might become poor and steal. And yet, and yet, this is not the only place in the Bible where we're given permission to ask things of God, is it? It's not the only place in the Bible where, where we see that requests can be made of God. And I don't, want you to think, I don't want you to leave here today thinking that you can only bring essential needs like daily bread before God. Because I wonder... As well in our world today, our daily bread is perhaps not so much tied to actual food to eat because we've got so much of that, don't we, in Adelaide? Our daily need is possibly closer to that of Martha's that we'd find peace from stress, that we'd find refreshment from worry, that we'd find comfort from anxiety. And so before we rush on, I want to take you to one other part in the Bible that will also be familiar to you, to Philippians chapter 4. Many of you will know this verse well. I think it's on the screen. Here Paul says this. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guide your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In every situation, present your request to God. I want you to take a minute now just to uh, write down on this page your request before God. Come before him asking that your daily needs will be met, that He would supply what you need. That might be to do with anxiety or worry or stress, might be to do with bread. Take a moment to write down what's weighing on you heavily. Come before God and do that now. Well, by now, I hope the shape of this prayer is starting to make a bit of sense to you. Three points about God, then three points, three things to do with us. Have you noticed yet that of the three things that are to do with us, two of them are about forgiveness and temptation. Only one is about providing for our needs. And and in a way, this reminds me of the story of the lame man that you can read about back in Luke chapter 5. See, Jesus had been doing remarkable things. Uh, He'd been casting out demons. He'd been healing people. And his reputation as a healer, as the provider, had been spreading far and wide. And so people were bringing the sick to him. There was a lame man who couldn't walk. And when he was carried to Jesus by his friends, the crowd around Jesus was so big that his friends had to lower him in through the roof to Jesus. You probably know that story quite well. And yet things don't quite go as planned because upon seeing the man being lowered down, Jesus said to him, "'Friend, your sins are forgiven.'" I reckon that's not what his friends were expecting. I suspect that's not why they brought their friend before Jesus. I think his friends carried him in for physical healing, not forgiveness. And I want you to see that the God of eternal things, the God of the unseen things, is concerned not just to provide for our daily needs, not just to provide our bread, but also to provide for our spiritual needs. Our God provides forgiveness. And if the number of lines in this prayer are kind of any indicator, it seems that Jesus is almost more concerned with that than he is with our daily bread. We can come before our Father and ask for forgiveness. Now, we do this most weeks at church when we say a prayer of confession, but I want to give you a moment to do that right now, to come before your God and ask for forgiveness in the line that you write in your prayer you might like to be specific here there might be something that you need to come before god and ask for his forgiveness and as you're writing that one final observation about forgiveness you may wonder here at this point in the prayer if god's forgiveness is contingent on the disciples own forgiveness is it conditional is this passage saying god won't forgive you unless you forgive others I wonder here what Jesus is saying is, be imitators of God. Forgive like God forgives. Follow his lead. Have you had a chance to write a prayer down? The final line of the prayer is, lead us not into temptation. And again, this is to do with the spiritual world testing or temptation in luke's gospel it's 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 nearly always a negative thing something to be avoided and so jesus here is asking god the father to provide protection in a way this is a, an acknowledgement that we we may not be strong enough to face the challenges of the world without god's protection and so in a way we're asking here we're asking god to go before us to protect us by equipping us to stand stand firm in trials or to remove those trials from our lives. There might be a trial that you know is coming, or one that you don't yet know is just around the corner. You might like to ask God to protect you in that way right now. Now, as you've written out your prayer... You may not want to share that with us this morning, that's okay. You can scrunch that prayer up, you can stuff it in the bin or you can put it in your pocket and take it home, that's absolutely okay. But I'm going to sit down in just a moment and we're going to sing again and during that song I'm going to walk up the aisle and if you would like your prayer to be prayed, either in the service this morning, please tick that box or maybe you'd like the staff team to be praying for you this way. you can tick that box instead, it won't be prayed from the front here this morning. And if we get a few of those prayers come through to pray here this morning, then Susan and Chris will pray those. You don't have to do this, of course. You can just scrunch it up and put it in your pocket. But I hope in doing this exercise this morning, in praying a prayer, you're beginning to see how prayer can be an antidote to the distraction in the world around us, and how prayers can help us with the worry and concern of our lives.